Hi, everybody. I'm Doreen. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, so there is no break at this meeting. Is that where I'm starting? Oh, okay. I'm like, wait a second. Okay, now is the time for the leader to qualify. Um, we ask that you keep, oh, that's a note to me. I will keep my focus on recovery and the 12-step program of Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm sorry, I literally just got asked to do this, so I'm a little bit flustered. Um, so it's interesting um, that I was asked to to speak today because I grew oh, sorry. Can we start the tape over again, please? <laughs> Okay, good. Um, so, I grew up in this area, and I actually was just walking to the meeting um, with my sponsor, and I took her down with the elementary school where I grew up, and we walked by the house that I um, lived in um, as a teenager and is still owned by my family, and it's kind of like I was able, un- not planned, but to kind of show her a little bit of my life and um, what was interesting is that I was an obese child and my obesity started around the age of between three and four and I actually have those pictures with me but they're on my phone so they I don't know how to get them I can text you all um, <laughs> um, so I grew up here and I was a very unhappy um, typical obese child who was teased and criticized and um, there was never a day in my life since I was three that I wasn't on a diet and um, I was told at a very young age that I was destined to be that I had big bones and I was always going to be heavy and that little, I remember, you know, boys don't like fat girls. So that also led to me assuming I would always be alone, fat and ugly, and um, kind of ostracized and needing to hide my body because I also had a skin condition. So they dressed me and I'd have knee socks covering my knees because I had psoriasis and covering my arms and special baths and lotions. And I was on diet pills at the age of seven. Um, they would put it, people who know my story, but they would open the capsules and stir it in grape juice and I'd have to drink it. And um, I had high thyroids. I was on thyroid about the age of seven. And and then I was put on um, other diet. I had to keep food charts. If If I lost a pound, we'd go. And I went to the doctor every week. And if I lost weight, we'd get to go into the the pharmacy and I get a candy bar because um, as a and you know what's interesting you guys is as a child that it's really hard to be a parent of a child who's obese and people come to me with children who they say oh, my child's obese I don't know how to help them or do you know what will you what do you do for a child who is obese and how do you help them and it's very hard for me to answer because um, all I know is, and this is really important, is that because my parents did do everything to try to get me to lose weight or to be of a normal size, I didn't become an obese adult. And I didn't have, so my scars are, physical scars 
are scars more from my psoriasis, my skin condition, than, they, than you would see on my body if I had been an obese adult. And so I, I do have gratitude that I w didn't have to grow up and go through losing 100 pounds. And that would have been me had I not gotten the help I got that my family tried to get me. And I haven't really shared that before, but it seems that more people are asking me about how do I help my child or my niece or whomever. So I need to say that um, while I was so sad and traumatized and hated my body, hated myself, was suicidally depressed, I did get in recovery and I have a great life. And I don't have the same physical scars as an adult has or that trauma of being the obese adult. So in many ways, I'm very lucky that I had to have my path and not go through the other path because who knows what would have ended up happening to me. And I know um, I got abstinent when I was 20 and I came to OA because uh, it was um, December 31st, 1977, turning to 78, that I remember like just praying or asking God for help. And it wasn't like I didn't ask for help all those other years. And it wasn't like I understood a higher power because I was just a girl. Um, and it, I did go to religious school, but it, I'm Jewish, but it wasn't like th there was no answers. I had no answers. And I came to OA on January 1st, 1978. And when um, I was in the meeting and someone talked about God, it like freaked me out. And, I, and then I bought the big book, all the literature. And in fact, the person at my very first meeting um, named Linda actually called me this morning. And there's a group of us, and in my path, I've been blessed to have people, please God, still abstinent. And I have had many people I love who no longer come to OA and can live their lives without overeating. And then I have friends who have, were very close and important who don't come to OA, who may overeat, who I still stay in touch with and important to me. But I've had to discover that there are people all over the world, there's about at least 20 of us who get on the phone every two weeks and have a meeting that's called Diaspora of people with 20 or more years of abstinence who started in one place and moved away. And it was started because we're alone. Like, where we are, there aren't, there usually isn't somebody else with 20 or more years of abstinence. So I still have to have the people around me in the world to know people are abstinent and even have more time than me because I will never feel like I have time. And when you have time of abstinence, you don't feel, I mean, I, the people I know who are still abstinent don't think they're cured. They still have issues with food. I want people around me who still know they're compulsive overeaters. I can't afford to be around people who were compulsive overeaters, think they're cured, and left, because I will die. I, to this day, I'm a compulsive overeater. I will always be a compulsive overeater. I want to remember I will always be a compulsive overeater. I never say I will never leave because that's the other thing. When someone says, I know this for the rest of my life, my alarm bells go off and I get scared that they're going to leave because they think they know and know enough to say they'll never leave. But this disease 
tricks us. It's waiting. It's right there. So if you think you'll never leave, please rewind and get back to abstaining today and knowing you just have one day. And one day to the next, putting together, you have more and more abstinence, and that means you have more and more experiences being abstinent that you can get through the next big experience and stay abstinent. And you get to, by, by being abstinent one day and then another day and another day, people see you over time and they see that you're still abstinent. Or they see, like, well, how do you do what you do? And you get to say, well, I have an addiction. Or I live one day at a time. And what does that mean? Well, I only get my recovery for today. And I always like that the day ends. That I, I mean, to this day, I love the end of the day because that means... I got through the day and it ended and I'm abstinent and I get another day tomorrow. And our speaker came in. No, I thought it was 9 o'clock. I'm so glad. Oh my God. Okay. All right. The backup won't get up here. I mean, the real speaker won't get up. The understudy goes on. Um, anyhow, um, so what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Um, so back to being in Los Angeles, where I grew up, where I felt suicidal, having a great life today, but still being in recovery, thank you God, still knowing I'm a compulsive overeater, still not believing, I cannot think about the length of time I have. I have um, 39 and a half years of abstinence. And um, that is, I've been abstinent, thank you God, almost two thirds more than I was practicing my disease and a, and a compulsive practicing obese compulsively overeating girl and um, and it's I have to be careful I don't dwell on that because that isn't reality reality is I'm a food addict I'm a compulsive overeater my dreams came true in terms of I get to live life today without wanting to die I get to have love in my life I've had I'm married I have grown children um, I have a relationship uh, with my family um, with its goods and bads the family has shrunk with deaths um, a lot of the people I felt that were demons in my life or were the cause of my terrible unhappiness have died but when they have died, I thank God have been in recovery and been able to help them through their deaths, um, having my like, uh, loving them for who they were, um, no longer hating them for what they quote did to me or caused me in quotes, um, and I feel just blessed that I get to be back in. LA and in Beverly Hills and be the person I had prayed to God I could could be one day and um, and actually I have to say qualify that when I grew up I wanted to be Cinderella and um, I never made it to Cinderella no I actually I have a the fantasy was or it was basically like to be Audrey Hepburn or to be the star, I'm not going to go into names of actresses I wished I were, but the story was always taking the ugly, plain, hopeless person and turning them into the butterfly kind of thing. And that is what Overeaters Anonymous has done for me. 
and if, and I'm I'm a believer if I still do the same thing I've done every day, um, and and I try to keep my life set up that way. So what does that mean? The first thing I learned was that the, working the tools came first before I knew how to work the steps. People would say work the steps, work the steps, and it's like I have no I had no idea what they meant. It was jargon it was intangible but I could understand the tools and the tools for the newcomer um, one of the tools is going to meetings so that's why you see all these people and you see me keep coming back Um, and meetings give us a place where around other compulsive overeaters and we know we're not alone we know we're not insane we know we're not destined and doomed because there are other people just like us and we're all different sizes we're all different ages we're all different religions Um, it doesn't matter who you are so when I first heard the word God at my very first meeting when you said God out loud and you're in a public place that seemed Christian that as a Jew we don't go talk about that but that's not true but that was what I thought so another thing in a way is you have to give up your old ideas and one of those was thinking I knew what was and wasn't in my religion or someone else's religion or whatever so coming to meetings is really critical to know who I am and I'm one among many the thing about the telephone if people here say oh I don't I hate having to text or email or call or get messages or blah 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 it's so burdensome we had one thing a telephone that you had a dial and the benefit about that seriously is that I remember wanting to overeat and needing to call someone and I kept calling nobody answered so I called another person and dialing that phone to 10 different people by the time I started wanting to overeat and the time it took to make 10 phone calls dialing it passed and no longer do we have that tool (laughs) Um, (laughs) but um, using the phone to this day is critical and now what I mean about texting and email and all is there's no reason we can't be in contact or reach someone instantly and that is a blessing for people who are starting now and who think I'm alone I can't reach anybody I mean people get abstinent living in countries where nobody else is abstinent or they no one speaks that language and we have OA reaching out everywhere and um, and there's this thing if you think you can't afford to make calls long or you are out of a country and you can't stay abstinent because you're in Europe or or in Puerto Rico or Costa Rica or wherever you are um, there's this thing called AT&T and you can get a um, service and with other companies too that you pay ten dollars a day and you can use your phone unlimited and you can use texting unlimited you aren't charged for your texting so there's not even an excuse that I'm traveling I can't stay abstinent because for ten dollars a day you can stay abstinent if you're willing to use the phone or whatever you want to telecommunications or whatever you call it Um, having a sponsor what that means is that um, there's someone who is devoted to me in a way or commitment to help me stay abstinent my person and 
the sponsor isn't someone you have to pay for or hire. You're not stuck with this person, but we're encouraged to ask someone to be your sponsor. So it's another step towards having intimacy with another compulsive overeater who will be your person who is there for you. And it doesn't mean they're going to lay down on their back and you stamp all over them. It means that if you call and you say, I need help, they may not be able to answer the phone or show up, but they will get back to you. A sponsor gets back to you. A sponsor, if you say you have inventory that you've written about, like what does it mean to be a compulsive overeater, we encourage you to share what you write, and your sponsor is someone who will listen to what you write. So it's, so it's kind of like when you're a sponsor, you're having a commitment to someone. You're someone's person. And, um, and that's what, where I live. I have my people and my sponsees who are listening to this podcast right now. Hi, everybody. Um, actually, pe- podcasts are another tool, by the way. It's a meeting that you can get when you can't get to a meeting. And they're actually a tape of what people like me talking that you can go online. And there's an Overeaters Anonymous website where you can download speakers. So if you need a meeting and you can't get to a meeting, now you can have a meeting. That's even another amazing thing that um, enhances the tools. But so everyone having a sponsor um, is critical. And I know I couldn't be abstinent with making sure, not that I had, if there were periods of time where my sponsor had dementia and I couldn't let her go. And so I went for a long time um, saying she's my sponsor. Um, because we're like, I believe, like once a sponsor, always a sponsor to that person, even though you go get other sponsors. So that was really hard. And um, Carol, who all you guys know, he and I used to talk about what are we going to do? We don't have sponsors. How do you find a sponsor when you have 30 years of abstinence or 35 years of abstinence? What do you do? And um, we would sit out here after this meeting and talk about sponsors. Or how do you get, what are you going to do? And I had someone I co-sponsored with, but she has stopped coming to meetings. So, and I had people, I asked, if, some, if you ask someone to be your sponsor and they say no, you need to ask again. And it was really upsetting when I asked some people to be my sponsor and they said no. Um, and, and these were people on the phone call that I was telling you about. I think I told you there's people all over the country or the world, and we talk to each other every two weeks. Um, the group's called Diaspora, and you have to have 20 or more years of abstinence because we have issues. When you have long-term abstinence, we have issues. So anyhow, so I said meetings, uh, sponsorship, telephone, literature. I want to say, if you're new, there's a literature table at every Overeaters Anonymous meeting you'll ever go to. There's always a literature table or someone who will have a piece of literature to give you, and that's what you can read and carry around with you, so you carry the program with you. And then we have this thing, it's called anonymity, which is a tool, which means that anybody can be here. We can be on the street and meet someone, and you see someone, and it doesn't matter who we are, but we can find each other. And I have the craziest stories I wish I could tell you about bumping into people. Like once I was at LAX walking down the, the hall, like getting you, this long hall you go down, someone literally was changing a light bulb, I swear to God, on a ladder, and she looked down and she said, Doreen! And it was someone in the program. Changing a light bulb yet. <laughs> um, it was crazy. Okay, so the other tools, um, help me guys. 
abstinence, which isn't a tool, but it's the most important thing. When I got abstinent, abstinence was what was the recovery. You abstain no matter what. Three meals a day, nothing in between for me. Now it's a tool. I don't understand it being a tool, but it's a tool. To me, it's recovery. It's what I have, it's how I define my abstinence, is keeping food in its place. And then I can, could work the steps. That was for me. I had to be abstinent first to be able to work the steps. A writing, I mentioned about having a sponsor, be able to read her my writing or whatever. Help me. Service. service. Here I am. Okay, service and the action plans. Okay, so real quick. So service is um, doing what I'm doing right now, but it's also making tea, coffee, moving chairs, putting them away, greeting someone, and it makes you feel great because you don't have to talk to anybody. You just get to go do something when you come in the room. <laughs> And I'm serious, if you don't want to talk to someone, please set up the chairs or clean up because it will make you feel good and you're not alone and then somebody else will be doing it with you and then you start to chat and then you're doing it together. Um, and then the action plan, it's something pretty new. But like my action plan is I suit up, get up and suit up every day. So for me, I have to... Um, I take a shower or bath, I get dressed, I brush my teeth, I... Um, put on some makeup usually, I eat my breakfast, I feed my dog, I'm dressed for the day, and then if that's all I did, and eat my three meals, that is way better than I could have done. And that is enough. I don't have to do anything else. And then I usually try to do one thing of service, like reaching out to help someone in the program or not in the program. And I look for those people, somewhere I can be nice or help or pick up a piece of trash. And I don't have time to go into my health condition, but I have a neurological condition where I really do have to stay in bed a lot. And I sleep every afternoon, and I have bad days. But I still try to do the same thing every day, what I just told you about, getting up, taking care of myself, taking care of my food, trying to help one other person or my dog or whatever. And then I get to go to bed at night, abstinent. So thank you. So this is a time for questions only. This is a, a workshop. Um, there's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting, or if you need to grab someone now and go outside and talk, please do that as well. Please remember that the opinions of me or anybody else who shares are of my own, not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. It's just my story. When asking questions, um, you don't need to identify yourself because um, it's hard with the recording. And if you ask a question, I will try to reiterate what you say to make sure that the podcast can hear it. Um, and I also just wanted to say I talked about the tools. There is a pamphlet of the tools of recovery that um, is fantastic and it explains each thing in an uh, approved literature. And I was just sharing my experience with the tools. So, questions? Yes. Thanks so much for jumping in. Um, when you got into recovery in a normal body weight, how did you combat those messages from early on that you weren't worthy of love and relationship? So the question had to do with, once I got in recovery, how did I cope with um, the horrible feelings about myself of self-hatred and 
loathing and bad about how I always was and to see myself or be okay with how I am. Kind of <laughs> get it. And, um, you know, I was told it didn't matter how I felt or what I did. I just had to eat my three meals a day um, and not eat in between and, and work my program. And, um, and working the program is what I describe to get to the steps. And I, for the, since there we have new people, I don't want to go into all that. But, um, gosh, it's a lifelong process. I can still feel fat and ugly. I can still feel big. I don't feel, um, I mean, I just have to do, like, the, in the, they call it an action plan. But I need to do the same thing every day about staying abstinent and taking care of myself and then my thoughts may get better which they have but I don't have to care how I feel about myself I need to do things so the first thing my sponsor way back taught me was about abstinence was I needed to have a pretty placemat I needed to buy myself a flower and put it on the table um, I needed to make my have like not be deprivation food. I had to treat myself like I would treat somebody else. I had to treat myself with love. Um, she wanted me to write out um, what, how did I want to live, and I, um, I wanted pretty clothes, so I'd wear pretty clothes, and I um, take care of my physical self, and that has been really important. I, I do personal care a lot, and that was like before that word was a word. Um, or phrase that's how my sponsor started teaching me to do to take to feel better about myself was I needed to take care of myself yes do you have a daily spiritual practice so the question was a daily spiritual practice and why I went is I'll never I'll never I don't I never reach my expectations about that like there are much better people who could talk to you who are who have much stronger daily spiritual um, methods to do that. And, and that's the we have in our in our eleventh step. It's about prayer and meditation. And I pray every day. Um, please God help me. I can use the Serenity Prayer, which every meeting starts with. Um, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. That's something every day I say. Um, I am quiet, but I don't do what I thought was meditation, which I thought was crossing your legs and sitting with your hands open and um, repeating the same thing over and over again or I mean, it has to be enough for me to be one minute quiet or five minutes quiet. Um, the new term that helped me a lot is mindfulness, that that is kind of meditation. So I've had to work to lower. The more I lower my expectations about what I think meditation is, the better I am. And spiritually, I believe my, I have to live a spiritual life. So it's a different answer because you asked about spirituality, which I and I answered you about meditation. But the truth is that I believe I am alive to be of service. That I believe my purpose is to help other people. And every day I try to watch and look for that opportunity. So 
it's smiling at someone, it could be picking up a piece of trash because you're doing something and I don't mean to belittle it but it's more about people. I look for someone who may need help of any kind and I feel like that's my obligation and, and my treasure. Um, and I don't have to earn money for being of service in my life. Our, our work isn't about making money. Work is about being of service. So if you're unhappy at your job, you, be, you have to look for who you can help at your job. You'll be a lot happier because there's people around you who need you. That's why you're at that job. Um, you have to do your work, but you don't have to love your work, but you need to, you're there to do something to make a difference. So that's my spiritual life. Mm-hmm. So, first, the question was about my higher power. And I actually have a tangible, I believe that God watches over me, takes care of me, loves me, guides me, um, wants the best for me, um, gives me, doesn't give me more than I can handle. Um, so it's, it's kind of an entity. For me, what I have to visualize is an entity. And, um, and it's like a loving father for me, or loving parent. Now, why it's that way is because I was taught early on to write a want ad in the newspaper of what I was looking for in a higher power. And for people who don't know what a want ad is, <laughs> you know, you're looking for um, da 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 da. So I was looking for um, a power bigger than me who would watch over me, love me, care for me, protect me help me, give me strength, guide me. Um, everything about being loved. And so I have that today, that entity, that father, or whatever you want to call it. And I think I needed it to be a father because I had a terrible relationship with my father. And I was always criticized. I, was, I felt I was treated, I was loved, but it was... It was, it was really hard having my father. And so to have a different father, like to have a power greater than me who really did, who was capable, had the capacity, that's what I needed. So that's mine. It is totally mine. And if you talk to people here, you'll find 40 other descriptions. So, any other questions? Yes. Oh, okay. That's great. So the question was, um, from the from coming into OA, how did I get this abstinence? Okay. So I came to OA and I bought every piece of literature on the table, and I got a phone number. Someone gave me their phone number, and I thought if I just copied everybody. I could be abstinent. Back then, people did moderate meals, and every and I was the youngest, so I was this cute kid, and um, you know, like a darling little, you know, 18-year-old, and um, and then I, I, three weeks in, I smoked dope, and I ended up binging, and then I got abstinent again, and then four weeks later, I had been keeping my life the same way it was, and I kind of had a nervous breakdown. Because you take away the food, you can't just take away the food and not go crazy. And, um, and so um, I then had another year or so of abstinence, 
again copying other people but I but then it became Good Friday and I was working at my job because other people were off and it started with a piece of cake at lunch and then I was off binging throwing food out the window um, went back to the old boyfriend that day drank um, binged there went to 7-Eleven I mean suddenly I was out he had never seen me and I was like binging 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 and I woke up with my swollen mouth dry clothes not fitting feeling horrible hating myself wanting to die angry oh my god what have I done and I made a phone call I threw myself on the ground made a phone call and arranged to meet someone after I had to go to work and it started uh, my abstinence started the next day I didn't count that day for whatever reason Um, but it was people came and helped me and showed me that they would go to any length to help me be abstinent and I and so people came to me first someone picked me up took me to lunch and a movie then um, I went and saw the champ with her and I was dying to binge but I sat on my hands and she stayed with me and got through the movie and then um, she dropped me off and said now you need to go ask other people because she couldn't handle being around me and um, other people came and spent the night at my house and um, they kept saying we'll let you eat if you want to go eat we'll go with you and I didn't want to but I was furious and then the next day I was 12-step where people took me to their house sat around a table and I saw this person who took me to her house I was with her yesterday seriously and um, they talked to me they 12-step me even though I had been in the program and I'd been abstinent they sat around and they handed me the phone to call one of their sponsors and say she could help you and that was Lila if anybody remembers and um, she met me at that meeting that night and we sat and she gave me my uh, this is your abstinence here you go call me at eight at 745 or whatever time it was back and every day and if you don't call me at that time then I won't answer your call and I suddenly had like orders to do if I do this I will be abstinent I will get thin I and she promised me and that's what I needed and that's how it all started wasn't that simple by the way I, mean, I didn't feel that good <laughs> Laura That's great. So the question was, um, oh, the statement was, um, Laura said that I had once helped her um, because she was wanting to do a lot of, uh, was running marathons and needed more food. And she had asked me about how to handle that. And all I could say, which I still believe today, is that if you need to eat more food, maybe Okay, I want to rephrase it because people now do that and they have and it's more acceptable to eat multiple times a day. So I do have friends who are super athletes and in OA and abstinent. It's can you for me? It's cannot you handle eating more food? And 
because you definitely need to eat more food if you are doing major athletic things. You can't just eat three meals a day and nothing in between and be able to do climb mountains, run marathons, whatever. It does affect your food. Um, so for me personally, I don't do major physical sports and stuff. I take ballroom dancing. I ballroom dance. Um, I work out with a trainer and, and I take walks, but I don't run marathons. Um, but there are people in this room who run marathons and they have to adapt their food. To be pregnant, I had to adapt my food to have a healthy... To get pregnant, I had to change my food and gain a little weight. And then through after pregnancy, eating more in pregnancy, and then I couldn't wait till I could go back to my regular food three meals a day because it's very comfortable and safe. I'm a pipsqueak. I like safeness. People who do great things, I think they're a whole lot braver and they can... They are capable of doing it if they have support from sponsor, nutritionist, doctor of how to do your food and do your thing. Because health is most important in recovery. Hi. Uh, thanks so much. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with food? If the obsession has been removed, if there are foods that you stay away from? A bit more about sure. Um, so the question was about my relationship with food. And I don't have, I'll never have a super healthy relationship with food. I mean, my, I, um, I, I am a compulsive overeater. If I'm uncomfortable, I will want to take the edge off. And I will look for something. And I may not need to take the edge off, but I'll still look for some way to take the edge off. And um, thank God I have my structure of my three meals a day and I eat certain categories of food, fruits, vegetables, protein, carbohydrate, oils, um, and um, fruit. I think I said that already. Um, but I, So I kind of have, people would think of me as rigid, but I'm nowhere near as rigid as some people. I mean, like I'm, I'm pretty much in the middle where I don't believe in weighing and measuring everything and that if I don't weigh and measure it, I'm not abstinent. I am abstinent if I eat three meals a day and I don't eat in between. Um, and I don't, for me, it, it's hard to say cakes, cookies, ice cream, blah, 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 because there's so many different characteristics of food, but I don't, I can't handle, I don't eat lots of sugar. I don't eat sugar, but yet there is sugar in some of the food I eat, if that makes sense. Like I don't look for number five on the salad dressing bottle. I'll look for number four now. <laughs> but anyhow, this, was there another question? Does people know what that meant? What it means? Okay. In the old days, um, you weren't allowed to eat anything unless sugar was fifth on the list of your ingredients. So we were taught to look at labels, which I still do. And you had to be sure that what you bought and put on your salad, that there, it had to be way down on the list. So that's what I meant about reading the label and all that and I'm less um, I'm not um, I have eaten things that had sauce on them but I'm miserable eating things with sauce on them because I, I, I then start hating myself and all the old feelings so I eat pretty plain oh uh, two questions real fast it's great to hear I'm wondering how you decided and continue to decide what to eat when and how much Okay, so that's an excellent question. How do you know what to eat when and how much? We, we don't have diets here. There is a booklet over there with food plans in it. 
And we're also encouraged people to go to a doctor, nutritionist, whatever, and get a food plan. And what that means is I have actually used a food plan that's the basic four. And it basically has, like, how many ounces, what different food groups I eat at each meal. And that sounds complicated, but it's not. It's just that it gives me a framework because I mentioned taking the edge off. I will eat a little more and a little more to take the edge off. And so then I have to go back to saying, okay, I have four ounces of protein or six ounces of protein. And I have two tablespoons of dressing. But I don't have to define my abstinence with that. But to be thin, I do need to know the quantities of food I have. Um, and so a food plan is really great. And then I have a sponsor I can talk to about my food. And early on, we suggest people commit their food to their sponsor, where, they, where you write down what you're going to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then you call and you tell someone else. So we never have to do things alone. So I don't just have it in my head. I actually will write it down and call someone. And then nowadays, I don't have to do that, but I can do that. It's a tool, and I do do that sometimes. So you could get a brochure or doctor, nutritionist. It would be great if you asked one of the guys here to be your temporary sponsor today, and he would help you. Um, and there you go. Thank you.